Seth's got me. Seth's got me. Thank you. Y'all turn to Genesis chapter 1, please. It's the very first page in your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Last Sunday, we started a brand new series in our adult Bible classes and in here that we're calling the story of God. We're going to look at the Bible as one epic, grand, sweeping narrative from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 22. And, and as a church, this is setting us up to move away from viewing the Bible primarily as a, a collection of God's commands and rules and more towards seeing the Bible primarily as the story of who God is and what God is doing. The Bible <clears throat> is a story. Last Sunday, we, we made the case in our Bible classes and in here that, that reading and understanding the Bible as a story is going to help us better connect the dots in Scripture. It's going to help us more accurately interpret God's will and God's purposes for us and for the world, and it's going to help us more easily identify. We're going to be able to see ourselves in the narrative, and we'll be better able to place ourselves in the drama where we can play our parts and say our lines. To me, it's the difference between I'm a New Testament Christian and I'm going to obey all of God's commands so I can go to heaven when I die versus I am a beloved child of God saved by the blood of Christ and called and equipped by God's Holy Spirit to live into and proclaim the kingdom of God right now, today, and forever. To me, that's the difference. How we read and how we understand the Bible informs and shapes how we see God and how we see what God is doing, how we see ourselves, how we see other people, and how we see the world. And we believe the Bible is best read and understood and interpreted as a story. So let's start at the very beginning. That's a very good place to start. Julie Andrews, there she is. All right. Act one of the story of God is in Genesis 1 and 2. This is creation. Creation is the very first story in all of the children's Bible books. It's always punctuated by beautifully bright and colorful pictures. And, and this is where our kids first read about the sun and the moon and the stars and the pretty flowers and the tall trees. And, and they read about all the animals and they read about the very first man and woman who are cleverly covered up with strategically placed foliage and jungle cats, right? Our children memorize the days of creation. They love creation. It is so wonderful for them. And creation is the hotly debated topic in the state courts and the textbooks. Scientists and theologians use complicated rhetoric and really big words to assert their positions and refute the other side's claims. Creation is controversial. It's nearly impossible to explain or to agree. Evolutionists and young earth proponents, oil field science and Christian apologetics cannot agree. They argue creation. It's so difficult for them. And today, I think the church is in danger of dismissing God's creation. 
We see it as either a simple memory exercise for our children or a complicated disagreement between theologians and scientists. Somehow we've let ourselves relegate creation to just the children's books and the academic journals. It seems like we're talking about creation everywhere except in the church. And that's wrong because creation is everything. Brothers and sisters, we don't have salvation without creation. Creation is so foundational. It is so uh, key and critical to everything the story is about. We don't have the story without this wonderfully good beginning. Act one sets the main stage. It introduces us to the main actor, and it, it shows us the purpose of the story. This is the foundation. If we miss creation, or if we skip over it, or if we get it wrong, we're not going to understand anything else in the story. It won't make sense. Act one is the divine pattern for everything that follows. Every single thing in the story of God is predicated on creation. So let's read it together. This very, very first line. We've already done it once this morning, but it is so foundational. Let's do it again. You ready? Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. If there were a guy named Larry who could create pencils, hang with me here just for a second. What if there was a guy named Larry the Pencil Creator, okay? Larry creates pencils out of nothing. There's nothing on the table. There's nothing in his hands. And Larry just snaps his finger or he says the right word or he squints really hard and a pencil just appears. And it's, it's a real number two wooden pencil. It's got an eraser. It's got a point. Larry the Pencil Creator. What would happen with a guy like that? A guy who can create a pencil out of thin air? Well, he'd be doing a lot of interviews and he'd be on all the news networks and there'd be documentaries and Netflix specials. He'd be performing in sold out auditoriums. People would spend a ton of money and they would wait in line all day to see Larry the Pencil Creator, right? Larry the Pencil Creator. It'd be astonishing. Nobody on this planet wouldn't know about Larry the Pencil Creator, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is so easy for us to blow right by that opening line when that opening line ought to blow us away. We can't create a pencil, but God created the heavens and the earth. Church, this is so basic this is so foundational. This is so critically important to everything. Act one tells us God is the creator. You need to write that down somewhere right now. I don't care where you write it. Seriously, write that in the margin of your Bible. Write it on like the back of your neighbor's neck, something. Write that down. You need to remember this. God is the creator. And you can theorize about the Big Bang. You can get into arguments about primordial matter. But what we clearly have in Act 1, Scene 1 is God speaking into nothing and creating everything. It's undeniable. In the beginning, there was an explosion of life. 
And God is the sole initiator. This is all God. Now, we have it in poetry form, right? Genesis 1 is a beautiful poem. It's a very well-known form of ancient poem, kind of like a sonnet, you know. It's got rules. It's got, it's got a style. It's got a certain flavor. And I know some of y'all just started to hemorrhage when I said the word sonnet because you don't like Shakespeare. You failed Mrs. Brooks' junior English class, whatever. But just hang with me, okay? This is poetry. A lot of the Bible is poetry. Genesis 1 is not a technical science text, and we shouldn't read it or try to interpret it that way. This is theological poetry, and it's telling us in very clear terms that God is the creator. And it counters all the other creation stories that were out there at that time, that, that creation was an accident or that creation was the result of, of conflict and, and wars between the rival gods who would devour each other and then spit out big chunks of each other to form the mountains and the planets. See, all the creation stories before our creation story were about violence and hate and war and, and mistakes and accidents. But our story says creation is the intentional action of a loving God. The story of God, this first act, is about beauty and grace and wisdom and knowledge. And it's about one God. Jeremiah chapter 10 says, These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom. He stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Act 1, scene 1 tells us there was a beginning, and in the beginning there was God. A God with an identity and a consciousness. A God with a personality and character traits. Church, we are a theistic people, right? But we are not generally theistic. We are very specifically theistic about this God of this story. He is all-powerful. And he is all-responsible. And sometimes we'll, we'll shake our fists at God, Right? When, when, when we think God is acting in a way that's not uh, loving or it's not about justice, you know, we'll yell at God, you know, God, why aren't you doing this? Or God, why are you doing that? Why do we do that? Because we believe there's only one God. And God is responsible. In Acts chapter 4, you've got the, the very early church, and they're, they're praying to God. They're asking God to do something great. The Christians are being persecuted. They're being thrown in jail. They're being harassed. And the church prays, God, start healing people, right? Right uh, at the end of Acts chapter 4, God, start doing miracles. God, please handle the problem of the governments. God, please perform some mighty wonders. They're, they're expecting God to do amazing things. Why? Look at verse 24. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Act 1 tells us God is the creator and that all of creation is good. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. God said... Well, let me go up to verse 2. Let's start at the beginning again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. 
Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then look at what God does. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. God saw that the light was good. And then God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God created plants and trees, and God saw that it was good. God made the sun and the moon and saw that it was good. God made the living creatures and the birds, the great creatures of the sea, every winged bird. And God saw that it was good. And God created the livestock and the creatures that move along the ground and all the wild animals. And God saw that it was good. God made men and women in his own image. And he says, he he saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And we look around the world today. And we say, oh my word, the the world is, is worse than it's ever been. It's never been as bad as it is right now today. And I say, what's your reference point? You ever heard of the Middle Ages? I mean, things aren't that bad. And it is true that that we rebel against our creator and we do abuse God's creation and we do make ourselves and, and all the people around us miserable by our rebellion. But there's nothing in this story and there's nothing in our theology that says God's creation has become bad. The evil that invades God's creation, church, is not stronger than the creator. Sin and death and evil can never change the essential goodness of what God creates. Despite everything that spoils and corrupts it, we live in the middle of God's good creation. And it's good to live in the middle of God's creation today. 1 Timothy 4.4 says everything God created is good. And so we affirm the goodness of this world, not because we're so optimistic about people, we're not. And not because we're ignoring the the suffering and the injustice in the world. We know that because of human wisdom and human desire that we're just, we're suffering wave after wave of hopelessness and despair. We know that that because of human sin, uh, we've got got the brutality of wars. We've got all the the suffering and the injustice uh, against minorities. We've got this ever-widening gap between the rich and the comfortable and the poor and the helpless. We know all of this, but we don't ever give up on it. We don't ever withdraw from it. We're not trying to to get away from it or escape from it. We affirm the world. Why? Because our God created it and he says it's good. In Psalm 24, you're familiar. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The creation belongs to God. It's his, right? He made it. He owns it. All of it. It's his property. That's why even when evil does come in and it seems like evil is taking over, God doesn't abandon the world. He doesn't turn away from it. He comes to it. He comes to the world in the flesh to suffer with and for the world. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God reclaims what's always belonged to him. And he asserts his his powerful and loving lordship over the world and for the sake of the world. 
We know John 3, 16. We, we rarely read verse 17, but we know this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Because all of creation is good, all of creation is worth saving. If it weren't good, right? If creation weren't good, if it were somehow faulty or somehow temporary, God could just turn away from it. He could blow it up and be done with it. Or he could just ignore it and start over with something else. But that's not what our God does. The creation is good. It's all very good. And that's the only way that God's salvation work makes sense. Because it's all so very good. Now remember, that claim is not made by Adam and Eve. That claim that all of creation is good is made by the creator himself. It's not good because it means something to us or because we've evaluated it to be good. It's good because it's so valuable to God. All of creation is good. And I know we look around the world and we wring our hands and we say, man, I don't know. But God looks at the world and he says, I do know. And we line up our hearts and our minds and our wills with his. All of creation is good. And act one also tells us that God made all people in his holy image. Can you write that down too? I just feel like that's a really important thing as far as shaping us. And it's so foundational to the whole rest of the story. Write it down somewhere in your Bible, on your hand. God made all people in his holy image. Genesis 1. Hopefully we, we read this in all of our Bible classes this morning. Verse 26 says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let them... Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, male and female, Everybody, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Notice, the story of God does not begin with sin. The story doesn't start by telling us how messed up we are. The scriptures begin with this resounding declaration of the unique dignity of every man and woman on this planet as an image bearer of the holy God. This is enormously important, okay? If we are dogs and we act like dogs, then there's no big real surprise. There's no tragedy. It's, all, it's expected, right? But if we're not dogs and we act like dogs, that's a tragedy. Something has gone wrong. Something's horribly wrong. God created all people in his holy image. And we could debate in here all afternoon exactly what that means, to be made in the image of God. 
But let me throw out a couple. One thing I believe it means is that we have free will. I think that's what it means to be made in the image of God. God gives us a choice. Now, what happens when you give created beings free will? Good things or bad things? Bad things, right? Always bad things. You've seen Terminator, right? We know this. Bad things are going to happen. But God does give us free will. And this is going to show up next week in Acts 2, big time. But I think that's one of the ways that we're made in the image of God. I think image of God also has something to do with living in community. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have been living in a, in a mutual love and a life community for eternity past all the way through eternity future. I think we're also made to live in community the same way. I think it's also related to the fact that we are eternal creatures. We're made by God to live forever. Now, we've got to be careful here that we don't draw too hard of a distinction between body and soul. That's easy to do. We need to be reminded, I think, today's a good day to remind us, that we are physical creatures. We are the physical image of God. The ancient Greeks believed that the soul is divine and the soul lives forever, but it's housed in or it's imprisoned in a physical body. And so the soul lives forever, but the body is just some temporary shell that we've got to break free from. And as prevalent as that view is, and that view is even prevalent in God's church, that's not the Bible. That is not the story of God. All creation bodies are good. The Christian hope is not for the immortality of the soul. The Christian hope is the resurrection of the body. Being created in the image of God means a lot of things. And maybe we could just sum it up for the sake of time by just saying, maybe it means that all men and women have the capacity to be like God. God has put in every single woman and man on this planet. He's put in us the capacity to share God's glory, to reflect his characteristics and his honor, right? And if that's true, I think that impacts how we see ourselves, but it also impacts how we see other people. Being made in God's image confers on all people an eternal dignity. A shorter and more dramatic way to say it is this way. All people are like God. Have you ever heard it that way or said it that way? All people are like God. All the women and men in this room this morning, all the women and men in our city, all the women and men in this country, every man, woman, and child on our planet is like our God. Now, that foundational fact, right here at the beginning of the story, informs and shapes how we think about other people and what we say about other people and how we treat other people. This is the truth that determines which emails and posts you delete and which ones you forward. This is the fact that determines which bumper stickers you put on your car or your truck and the ones you don't. This is what guides the words we say out loud to others about others. You know, the culture we live in aggressively emphasizes our differences in order to divide us. 
But act one of the story of God tells us that all of humanity is connected together. We're all related by bearing the divine stamp of our common creator. Finally, act one shows us that our God wants to live with us. Man, this is so important. Y'all better write this one down too, okay? It's the last one, but write it down somewhere. Put it in the margin, put it on the back of the bulletin. Somewhere, write this down. God wants to live with us. This is everything. In this opening act, our God is, is creating a very good place for the people he's creating, but also for himself. He creates the heavens and the earth, and then he furbishes it, and he makes it perfect, and then he puts people in it, and then God rests. God settles in right here on earth to live with us. Look at the, look at the first opening lines here of Genesis 2. Uh, verse 31 of, of chapter 1, God saw all that he had made. It was very good. There's evening, morning, sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God establishes heaven and earth as his dwelling place. This is where God lives. Isaiah 66, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. The Jewish Bible translation says, what place can you devise for my dwelling? What house can you build for me to live in? The resting place, the place where God rests, the place where he settles. These are the same words that are used in Genesis 1 and 2. Heaven and earth is where God lives. It's where he rules. It's where he rests. Every time the Bible describes creation, it's like, it's like God is building his house. Psalm 104, he wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent where people dwell, right? He lays the beams of his upper chambers, like his bedroom or his game room. I don't know what that is, but, but he does it on the waters, right? God rests. He settles in with his creation, among his creation. When the Bible speaks about God's resting place, it uses the temple and the earth interchangeably. Psalm 78 says, he built his sanctuary on the heights like the earth that he established forever. Same thing. Psalm 132, uh, starting in verse 13, the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned for I have desired it. This is so huge to the rest of the story. God wants to live with us forever and ever. That's the pattern of his kingdom. This is his holy will. This is his eternal purpose. God's saying, come into this world I created. Come live with me. Come live in perfect peace and harmony with me. Let's run this thing together. 
Let's, let's reign together on this earth where I live. God is not in conflict with humans. Act 1 shows us very clearly God linking arms and futures with the men and women he creates. He and the human image bearers in Act 1 are in perfect harmony and peace. This is the way God established things in the very beginning. Perfect harmony and peace with God and with one another and with all of creation. And also notice the six days of creation all have an evening and a morning. Have you noticed that? All six days have an ending, but not day seven. The day that God takes up residency in his created world, the day that God settles into his creation with his creation, that day never ends. Church, that's always been God's intent from the very beginning. God with us. It's not supposed to end. He designed all of it so we would live together forever. That's the pattern for his kingdom. Act one. It's good. In fact, it's very good. This is the eternal blueprint for everything God wants and everything God is doing. Creation is what makes everything else in the story make sense. Now, today, we don't live in Act 1. That was a long time ago, this, this Act 1. But what Act 1 tells us has important meaning for us right now. In the beginning, God created. This is what Tim's talking about when we're at the table a few minutes ago. That doesn't mean God set out a long time ago in those first days to do everything he planned to do, and now he's just kind of letting everything run on its own. That's not what this means. This is establishing God as the creator. And it also is establishing that everything that's created comes from a God who, who exists to create. I don't even know if that's the right way to say that. As the creator, that's what God does. Does that make more sense? He creates. One of the most beautiful sentences in all of Scripture is Romans 4, 17, which says, God gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Even now, today, our God gives life to the dead and calls things into being that don't even exist. 2 Corinthians 5, we read it at the table. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All of this is from God. Today, we are, all of us, a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we proclaim God as the creator, we know that he is continually making new possibilities. He's making new beginnings. He's initiating new events. Church, God is our creator. And listen to me. He is your creator. He is. He's doing brand new things in your life. Even today. He's doing brand new, exciting things. In this church, even today, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 23, you are 
made new in the attitude of your minds. You put on the new self, created. This is you, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Listen, the psalmist never said, God created Adam and Eve a long time ago and all of us are descended down from them. That's not what he says. He says, you knit me together in the womb. And we know where babies come from. But we also know that the science of procreation and gestation and birth don't tell the full story of who we are and where we came from and where we're going. We believe that God, the creator, stands at the very beginning of every single life and that he walks with us every step of our ways. And your life, I mean, I don't know. I'm looking at some of you. I know some of your stories. But your life may today, right now, may seem dark and empty and void and chaos. It might. And it might be a really obvious kind of darkness and void and chaos like abuse or addiction or disease. Or it might be the kind of chaos and darkness that, that nobody sees. It's just, it's under the surface. But our God is the creator of very good things. Jeremiah 31 says, the Lord will create a new thing. Our God can speak life and light into your darkness and void. He made you in his perfect image. He made you very good. And that means he came here in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to make sure it happens. He's committed to it. Your story, whatever it looks like to this point today, your story is being written by a very powerful and very loving creator who is devoted to your very good. He will create in you. He will create for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God is still creating today. Stand with me, church. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we thank you for the beginning of your great story. In the beginning, God, you created the heavens and the earth, and we thank you. Our hearts overflow with gratitude and praise. And Father, you created me out of love, and you created us. You created our brothers and sisters Father, we thank you. Father, would you hear our prayer as we give you thanks for the way you created us, where you created us, our own beginnings, God, the place, the circumstances, even if it doesn't feel good or look good, we know it was good, and we want to give you thanks right now for the way you brought us into this world, Father. Hear our prayer. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. 
And Father, we also want to ask you this morning to create something new in us. We acknowledge you as the creator who is still creating right up to this very moment. Father, would you create something new in me? And would you hear our prayer as we ask you now, God, in a very personal way, to create something new in each one of us, God? Hear our prayer. Create that in me, Father. God, create that in me. Jeremiah 31 says, the Lord will create a new thing. And Isaiah 65 says, be glad and rejoice in what I have created. God, may we be open to your creation. In the name of Jesus, all of God's people say together, amen.